You are now listening to the Add 10 Gallons Concrete Podcast. Wait, the answer was add 10 gallons? Add 10 gallons. My first thought was we got to put Actigel on this. Dang, right. (laughs) (laughs) Trucks Trucks on the way. On the way. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, okay. I've got two observations, uh, neither of which are really educated or well thought out. (laughs) 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 Which are like most of my observations are. There aren't a lot of problems on a job site that can't be solved with a sack full of biscuits. Today's episode of the Add 10 Gallons Concrete Podcast is brought to you by Actigel 208. Actigel 208 is a high-performance additive for the concrete industry that is greatly beneficial to the producer. It enables them to increase the percentage of manufactured sand by up to 100% and completely replace all the natural sand in the mix. In areas where natural sand is scarce, inconsistent, and expensive, this provides a huge benefit to any ready-mix company out there. Benefits of manufactured sand and concrete include consistent air content, improved compaction, and increased density. Now in the past, the downside of using manufactured sands was that they were hard to pump, hard to place, and hard to finish. Well, Actigel 208 solves all those issues. By improving suspension, stability, and the quality of the cement paste in the mix, Actigel overcomes the old issues with manufactured sand and leaves them behind. Let Actigel 208 improve the quality of your mix while saving money on every yard you produce. For more information, visit us at actigel.com. That's A-C-T-I-G-E-L dot com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome in to the Add 10 Gallons podcast. I am Josh Hare, joined by Paul Finley and Joey Bell. How you guys doing? Doing good, brother. How are you? Good, man. Joey, how you doing? I'm doing excellent for a Monday. <laughs> Here you, boys. Well, this is a special episode. It's our very first one. Um, you know, People who are listening in here, uh, we appreciate you. We appreciate your attention and uh, know that moving forward, we're going to do our best to improve each and every episode and bring you, you know, what's going on. Uh, we're going to have interesting guests that are talking concrete. We're going to talk shop. Uh, we're going to talk things that are uh, industry related. We're going to talk about current events, uh, things that are interest- interesting to us, uh, things that are interesting to the industry. Um, and as big events in the industry come up, uh, we'll, we'll talk about them as well. Speaking of events and stuff like that, guys, I got something I want to talk about here. Um, the ACI Concrete Convention is officially moving to 100% online. Uh, they were going to have the convention this year in Raleigh, North Carolina, mm-hmm. uh, towards the end of October. It's now going to be uh, 100% in your living room on your computer screen. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not surprising by no means. And, uh, you know, we've talked in, you know, in private through conversation, how these webinars, uh, are becoming massively popular. Mm-hmm. Uh, seek has done a number of them. Uh, our guest on the show today, Ryan Betts, he's going to be doing one, uh, with, with Argos and he can talk a little bit about that on the show as well. But, uh, you know, that's fine. Webinars are fine. Something just doesn't feel right about a convention being a hundred percent online. I mean, the pro is you still get the benefit from all the information. Um, they're going to have technical and educational sessions. They're still going to give out awards for top projects. Uh, they say that they're going to do virtual networking and special events. Okay. It's going to be tough. I mean, that part of networking. <laughs> yeah. 
uh, shaking a man's hand. Yeah. That's part of it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I would say 80% of the benefit or why people go to these conventions is to do just that, shake hands and talk shop. Well, and when you're in person, you get business cards. And as silly as that sounds, you meet so many people sometimes mm-hmm. that when you come back, you're like, man, what was that guy's name? Oh, yeah, that's right. I got his card. You pull it up and you know where he is, got his contact information. That's going to be tough virtual. Hey, maybe they can do it, though. I mean, ACI a bunch of smart people over there. I mean, they can figure it out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, the worst man. thing, the worst thing about uh, just Paul, like you said, conventions is forgetting people's names. And I forget people's names ten seconds after they tell it to me. So I have to have a card. If you don't give me a business card, you basically don't exist. <laughs> so I need those <laughs> cards. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how many times have you been in a meeting with multiple people, and you know, you exchange business cards at the beginning of the meeting or presentation or whatever? I'll lay those business cards out. In in a way to where like I can reference those and know who I'm yeah. talking. To, who it's like a seating be. chart. Yeah. Yeah. So I know myself, and I know that in order for me to remember things, I got to write things down. And so in a meeting, when a guy tells me his name, shaking head, right, I look at him and I write his name down on my agenda pad. So I'm like, okay, that's this guy. That's this guy. This guy. That's that's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, we'll we'll see how this goes. We'll see how the 100 percent. Uh, digital convention goes and hopefully god willing this is the only time it has to happen i think if if this becomes a thing where it it happens perpetually it can change like the format will change no no way way it does no way it does i don't believe it. it's just covid19 and we're seeing that in our business like this past week we just went to chicago did a bunch of work out there and you know unfortunately joey couldn't join us Yep. The, the city of Chicago decided that residents in Tennessee weren't going to be allowed in. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I get it. Just trying to keep people safe. I mean, I get it. And what more of a dangerous place to go than a convention where the entire thing is to be face-to-face within six feet of somebody shaking their hand. Yeah. I mean, that's a good way to spread germs. And, in fact, that's how it got spread really bad in Boston. Mm-hmm. They actually had, like, a doctor's convention or something right at the start of like the COVID-19 outbreak. And oh. so people were coming in from New York and San Francisco wow. and came into Boston and every single case, I'm pretty much like 99% of the cases that were in Massachusetts were all traced back to that one convention. Yeah. So I don't blame the ACI for going online. It's probably oh, the smart thing. Yeah, we so, had, um, you guys know I love to turkey hunt. I hunt all the time or whatever, but we had the National Wild Turkey federation convention in nashville right in the middle of february which is you know a few weeks before all this stuff kicked off and i'm wondering if if it's like what you just said paul about how i wonder how many cases could be traced from nashville because there were people you know people flying for this thing oddly enough you know just for turkey hunting stuff but um there's 40 there were I know there were at least 40 or 50,000 people in Nashville at this at the Gaylord Opryland Convention Center in a weekend. So there's no telling how much of it was actually passed around then. And going back to the ACI thing, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, I'm part of, or AMI is part of the American Shotcrete Association. I go to those meetings twice a year or try to, and they usually meet on the weekend before, or the Saturday before the ACI convention. And... I'm wondering, and I'm assuming now that it's all going to be webinars and stuff, but just like you guys said, there's so much that gets done in those little committee meetings, people sitting across the table from each other face to face. It's, uh, it's going to be completely different 
than trying to talk over people, you know, on the webinar thing. And just even with you guys there in the studio and myself, you know, here in Nashville being remote and not face to face with you guys, the interaction is still going to be different. It'd be, it'd be a lot better, of course, if we were all three in the same room together, but just the face to face interaction is so much better. And I'm hoping it doesn't stay that way, but it's just the, it's just the times we're in right now. Yeah, exactly. Well, I remember going all the way back, uh, man, like 2008, we were uh, in the CIM program at MTSU, me and you, Joey, and we flew out to Phoenix for the pre, mm -hmm. yeah, it was a precast pre test show at that time. They had it combined. I don't know if it's still combined or not. Uh, but I remember going all the way out there and we couldn't believe it. We we're like, people actually have like a, a thing for precast mm -hmm. bargaining together and discuss it. And it was huge. It was unbelievable. And it's only gotten bigger every year since then. Right. So uh, just knowing that and how eye opening that was for us as, as young pups in the industry, we we're super green. Everything we knew was in textbooks and a little bit in the lab. And to go out there and see, like, oh, okay, okay, there's a lot to this. And this is just precast, pre stress, which is what, 15% of the whole concrete market in the United States, maybe mm -hmm. 20% at this point. So, I mean, it was hugely eye opening and it's very beneficial. So, when you say like ACI is going online, it makes me think one of the things that I think of because of my personal experience is there's going to be other young guys and young girls that aren't getting that introduction to mm -hmm. the industry you know whether they're still in college like we were or whether they're new to the industry and they're getting brought up and it's their chance to meet some really smart people you know they're not getting that experience it's not the same when you go on a webinar and so i hope that we get back to a little bit of normalcy you know i hope yeah, the new yeah. norm is not that we're doing <laughs> webinar conferences uh, but i am glad the aci is being safe and you know keeping people safe yeah no they're doing the right thing for sure and hopefully you know, things turn around and we can have uh, in-person conventions and, you know, things get back to the way they used to be here in short order because in 2021, their next uh, event after this one that was scheduled in Raleigh, um, the end of March 2021, I think it's the 28th to the April 1st, their location is the Baltimore Convention Center right here in our backyard. Oh, oh wow. So, yeah, so hopefully this ship gets righted uh, before that. That way we can make a little field trip from the office here down to the inner harbor baltimore and yeah see all our friends so that means all our friends are coming to us now yeah for once <laughs> for once <laughs> well hey if you want to avoid covid go to outer space yeah and that leads me into <laughs> what i found a segue you <laughs> know what i found i found this pretty cool study uh so i live in pennsylvania uh, our office is here in the baltimore area so i drive down here to be in the studio with you uh but up in Pennsylvania, up at Penn State, they're doing some research. They're leading the way on this research about concrete hydration and concrete formation in outer space. That's really cool to me. I just think this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And so I'm a couple of years late. They're actually uh, just completed phase two of the study and have received several more grants uh, moving forward. That's pretty awesome. But what I thought was interesting were the things that were different in the cement hydration. So they're not actually looking for the purpose of the study. They're not using a, a, a true cement product. They're actually using pure tricalcium silicate. So just the C3S, which is the primary, you know, reactionary ingredient, right? So they, they wanted to keep it pure because the differences in clinkers from one batch 
to the next, from one source to the next. There's going to be impurities, the alkalis. Things are going to be different. So the, the way to sort of eliminate as many extraneous variables as possible, they decided to go with a pure C3S. So they brought that in. They've got you know clean water and a couple of additives to help with things. But they used a really high water cement ratio because it because it's pure c3s so there's nothing to slow down the reaction there's no gypsum in there uh, so the, with no gypsum to slow it down they just had to dilute it with more water so the water cement ratio is ridiculously high but the thing be, and the water had lime in it by the way because normally you know you get your portland diet uh, extraneously so the calcium hydroxide that you know is produced by the reaction of uh, of the clinker with the water they wanted to go ahead and infuse that in there. So again, you're slowing things down. You're, you're keeping things moving in the right pace, the right direction, keep things on balance. So they put the, you know, there's only, so four things right there, like the lime, the water, uh, the C3S, and then maybe a couple additives. And those were also to uh, slow down the reaction because this thing's going to take off. And so you don't want like super high heat, which isn't, you know, real, you know, going to relate to anything we're doing here on earth. So they sent samples up to the International Space Station. And that's <laughs> just like, like, holy crap. Who would have thought doing concrete at the International Space Station? It's awesome. So <laughs> did, these... did, did they use the last uh, SpaceX launch? Is that what they – like how did they get it up there? No, this was – they were using rockets that were on resupply missions. Okay. And so they would just get a compartment in that resupply mission. They actually had <laughs> uh, like plastic baggies that had burstable baggies inside of it. So like an individual compartments inside of a plastic bag. That way there wasn't like different air mm -hmm. in the samples on the ground versus the samples at the ISS. Right. And so when the samples got up the ISS, like the water would be in a little sack that was burstable inside of a bigger plastic baggie. And same thing with any other ingredients, if there were separate ingredients, and so they would burst that bubble inside the plastic bag. It would allow the pure C3S to hit the water or alcohol or whatever you know is in there, which I'm pretty sure that was it. I'm pretty sure it was just the lime was in the water, and there may have been an alcohol, a little bit of alcohol in there to slow it down. Uh, but then you had the pure powder for the C3S, and it would mix, and they'd mix it in the baggie, and then they'd monitor it, and. Uh, they would they would monitor. There wasn't a whole lot you could do up in space while it's inside of a baggie. But the real thing was is to see uh, the morphology when the cement crystals have been growing in outer space, right. and yeah, more right. and more importantly in a low gravity environment or a microgravity environment. So the big thing here is we're, we got to build structures on Mars if we're going to go to Mars, if we're going to colonize Mars, if we're going to have some kind of station on the moon or anything. You've got to be able to build things. So instead of carrying a bunch of steel or whatever, maybe you can make everything out of concrete because you're talking about solar radiation, you know, proof from that. So concrete's going to be good for a bunch of stuff. Insulated. So how are you in fireproof? Anyway, everybody listen to this probably knows all those benefits. Yeah. So uh, they want to see what, how does concrete react in a microgravity environment because that's what you're going to be dealing with on the moon and on Mars. And what I thought was fascinating was two things. One, the crystal growth from the C3S interaction with lime and water was identical to what you see here on Earth. So gravity did not 
actually changed the crystals themselves. The morphology was the same. The difference was actually in the pore structure. It was much more porous, which I thought was fascinating, and it makes sense. So here's what happened. There's no gravity, which means the concrete, the weight of that concrete is not settling down on itself. Right. So it's not forcing the air out of itself like we do here on Earth. It's not forcing that out. So there are no bleed channels. There's no bleeding at all. There's no segregation at all. It just fills the void. And so now you've got 20% air in this thing <laughs> because there's no weight to push it down and, and cause that bleed water to get out of there. That's pretty yeah. awesome. No, it was. It was really cool. It was really cool. So what you end up with is like <laughs> almost the maximum crystal length you could have uh, when the cement hydrates, uh, which is going to create a weed. They weren't really looking for strength here anywhere. They were really right. just trying to see what gravity's effect was. And it looks like the effect is there's no segregation and bleeding. <laughs> so, so you've got this incredibly weak product because there's – just the the planes of weakness are, are innumerable there's just air everywhere in this thing yeah so they're gonna have to be conscious of that or redesign it in some way so they're going to continue to investigate uh those effects you know it did reach a degree of hydration of 88 percent, which is good you know it's really good really encouraging to see that but you're going to have a 20 percent increase in porosity you know that's not going to work yeah you have to do out. something to curtail that yeah either, either got, uh... or, or what, do you, what do you think like so five percent or something or how, how, do, how do you think you fix the problem do you try to adjust for the amount of air that's in it inherently or do you try to somehow work that out well for me it's funny you know people are going to laugh when they hear this my first thought was we got to put actagel on this dang right <laughs> <laughs> well, if you know. thought if you thought we helped with segregation before wait till you incorporate no gravity <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's crazy because we're the most biased people in the world when it comes to talking about the Actigel additive. Admittedly, yeah. Yeah, but my first thought was, okay, you need to control these nucleation sites. You need to control how this stuff is spreading. So how can you do that? Well, you have a product like ours that has dual polarity on a mineral structure, a rod-shaped mineral structure. And if that dual polarity is attracting water molecules like we suspect it is, to the surface, then you're now controlling where that cement is going to have to go in order to hydrate. So if our stuff is can, making the structures that we see under an SCM, if it's making those structures uh, in conjunction with the cement particles, if we're attracting that water to our surface but not absorbing it, so it's still available for the cement to hydrate, then you're going to control to some degree what level of porosity you have in that thing. I think you're going to make a denser product, even in a microgravity environment, and you're going to have uh, better results in that regard. Because everything else on this thing was fine. Mm -hmm. It was just the porosity is going to be an issue. So, right. I mean, maybe maybe fibers can come and overcome some of the strength challenges, but instead of treating the symptom, you know, I'm sorry, yeah, instead of treating the symptoms, how do you, Go get to the root causes and solve it. And I think something like the Actigel product actually would fix that problem. Right, right. Yeah, okay. I've got two observations, uh, neither of which are really educated or well thought out, but <laughs> <laughs> which are like most of my observations are. But uh, first one, I think this is a perfect opportunity to have a sequel to Armageddon 
uh, instead of an old instead of an old rig uh, crew, we send up a concrete contracting crew to to <laughs> the moon or Mars and let them let them adjust to pouring concrete in outer space. I think it'd be a great movie. So not uh, an old rig on the spaceship. Say it's a portable plant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're gonna shoot. In, in that regard, you you still have characters. I mean, because the characters you have on an oil rig, you got the crazy guy, you got like the staunch, uh, you know, head headstrong character. You got the romantic guy. You got all that oil concrete job too. Oh yeah, <laughs> we'll strap some thrusters to the sides of the silo and just shoot it off in there. And uh, my second observation: if you thought waiting on a truck was bad on Earth. Wait till you got to wait on Elon Musk to shoot one off the face of the earth <laughs> to get to the planet you're on. Trucks, Trucks on, the, on the way. On the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> scope out. It might be here in four weeks. <laughs> That's a good point. Well, that's the whole point of mixing it on the moon, dude. <laughs> so you're not waiting for yeah. the truck. Yeah, well, metered, metered concrete for the moon. Feel that? Hey, what? How do you scale that up? Oh, dude, you're sending stuff up there in bags. <laughs> you're asking us? We're idiots. <laughs> I'm, I'm just being skeptical about this. It's great. It's super interesting. I, I would be just as interested in how do you scale this thing up to where you actually build something up there? Oh man, I don't think that. I don't think that's gonna be that hard. As long as you have the binder. As long as you have the binder, they're gonna use local. And that's why this wasn't done using any aggregate. Because oh, really, you point. really want to go the next step. Good point. You grab moon dust and moon mm-hmm. rock. Mars dust and Mars rocks, and you start mixing it. So that's a whole nother level to this thing, because you know I know they've done the analysis on those soils, but until you actually get it, we know how it is. You go from the lab to the field, right? Something's gonna change. So when they actually get out there and they actually try to use that local dirt and and build something with it, I mean that'll be the real test. Yeah, it's amazing. It's, it's amazing that we're even thinking about something like that. So. Uh, another thing that's amazing, hashtag segue, um, Uber built a new uh, building out in San Francisco. Uh, I got this from the Concrete Products uh, article. Uh, they did a thing on, a- on ASA and their award ceremony that's every year at World of Concrete. Well, they highlighted two, two projects from uh, the awards uh, this past year. And one was Uber uh, built a new building in San Francisco. And what was really cool about this was their... I always look for uh, guys that we know on projects like these. And uh, one was uh, JJ Albanese out of San Francisco. Uh, we've worked with, we've worked with them before. know a couple guys out there. And we also know uh, Central Concrete and uh, U.S. Concrete. They were the material suppliers on that job. And uh, we all know Uber. So that was cool. Uh, let's see if I can get a couple more details on this thing. Um, Did you ever go out there, Josh, to see Central? Their concrete lab is awesome. Yeah. yeah, really, really good dudes, and their lab was awesome. So you know how we're building our new lab here in Maryland, moving our stuff up from Georgia and building new space. So we've been looking at new labs and seeing how to do stuff. And so you think back to guys like Central and their facility was rock solid. It was awesome. It's awesome. Yeah, if you look on the uh, on the website um, or the link to the article, they have a couple pictures of the job sites. And uh, the Uber project is a lot of just curved walls and very intricate. And it's really cool uh, just knowing it was all shotcrete. Um, they do so many crazy things with shotcrete nowadays. They can make it look like anything. And uh, so that was really neat. Uh, making things really neat is what really sold me on this next project. 
it was a TV set for a show called Swamp Thing. Uh, some of guys may know, but I'm like half redneck and half nerd, so I like uh, comic book stuff. But Swamp Thing was a uh, or is a DC Comics character. DC Comics does Batman and Superman and, and things like that. But uh, uh, they use Shotcrete on this TV set. And the, another thing, and like I said before, the picture's on the uh, on the link here, and it's really cool knowing this is all Shotcrete. But they made a swamp out of Shotcrete. So there's all these cypress trees and all this, you know, the rocks and vegetation. Vegetation's not shotcrete, but uh, everything else on there is. And they did 18,000 square feet of colored and hand-carved uh, surfaces in nine days. That's a lot. Of, that's covering a lot of ground. And some guys we know again uh, are on that. We're on that project. Revolution Gunite and Clearwater Construction Group. Uh, we know those guys pretty well. Uh, we might actually have Ryan Oaks on the show here coming up. So that was really neat to see. And uh, the pictures are really cool. And I, I watched the trailer for the show. The show looks eh, halfway decent, but uh, <laughs> the sets are going to look cool. <laughs> uh, so full disclosure, I didn't know we were going to talk about Swamp Thing today, but that was actually like my favorite movie like cartoon movie at one point when i was a kid i was probably like eight nine years old but like swamp thing i just thought mm-hmm. that was the, the coolest thing i watched that movie all the time when i was a kid it might have only been a show but i had it on a vhs and i would just <laughs> watch Swamp thing all the time so that's cool, cool. Yeah, the cool projects they uh the asa at, at their awards ceremony and uh in their magazine uh their awards the awards issue of their magazine they have all these uh, projects that won these awards, and they are absolutely incredible. Just uh, they have pools and uh, their zoos projects that goes on that go on at zoos. Um, you know, construction projects like at Uber and just everything, anything you could think of, rehabilitation projects you know, like uh, like dams and waterways, or even building or bridge uh, rehab. All that's done with shotcrete, and it's absolutely amazing. They make shotcrete look like absolutely anything nowadays. I remember the first time I learned that all the rocks at zoos and everything were all shotcrete. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget. And uh, so now, like, take the kids to play mini golf and all that. And I'm like, look at this shotcrete. Oh, <laughs> like, right <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of time to look at the shotcrete stuff at mini, at mini golf or, or golf in general when I'm looking for my ball that I whacked off somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't stay on the carpet the whole time either. <laughs> All right, boys. Well, uh, this is probably as, as good of a time as any to bring in our guest. Um, today on the show, we have Ryan Betts from Argos. He's going to tell us all about what he does, uh, You know, a lot of interesting things that he's involved with uh, at, at Argos. Um, going to get into some stories, which is always good. And we always knew that we'd have Ryan Edwin as our first guest. He's he's been a friend of of all three of us for a long time. He's a great guy to go back and forth with and uh, ask questions, and he'll post questions to us as well. And it, he always has his ear to the ground, right? He's he's a great guy to have in your corner. Um, so without further ado, this is our very first guest for the Ad Ten Podcast, Mr. Ryan Betts. Right, today we have Ryan Betts. Thank you for joining us, brother. Good to be here, Paul. Hey man, how long have we been talking about doing a concrete podcast? Hmm. Uh, I lost count. It's uh, it's been quite a while. Quite a while. But we always said you'd be the first one on it, and uh, we're happy to have you here, man. Uh, 
So you're still working with Argos. You've been with Argos for a long time now, and you just recently got a new position. Assistant Technical Director of Cement. Tell us a little bit about that uh, and what that role sort of means to you and it means to Argos. Yeah, great. Thanks for mentioning that, by the way. Uh, so the role is uh, basically, uh, you know, essentially the assistant to the technical director for the cement division. Um, there's, it's not a very clearly defined and stated role. It's sort of anything that has to do with technical issues or anything that sort of arrives at the intersection of, of something technical. Um, it can involve things like import products, uh, ASTM, ACI, PCA, uh, participation, uh, customer support, customer value type functions, as well as, uh, as, well as uh, working with our manufacturing facilities uh, on quality and consistency. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, you had an interesting way to get here, like to this point. So some of us, we went to Middle Tennessee State and we graduated with the concrete industry management degree. But you also had like a concrete cement degree. Where was that from? Where, how did you get it? And how in the world did you find out about it? What got you interested in getting that degree? Well, yeah, so, so I, I have an associate's degree in the applied sciences of concrete technology. More or less, it's a poor man's concrete industry management degree, two less years. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, the program is less management and more uh, running gradations and doing lab-type lab activities and testing and learning about admixtures and aggregates and, uh, you know, and so you really get right down to the technical stuff um you know the reason that i got into concrete and is because i always knew what i wanted to do when i grew up i wanted to be a welder uh and so i did a lot of job shadowing and i had a lot of welders say find something else to do you're gonna you're gonna thank me later for it so i found myself at 18 having no idea what to do uh the then head of the uh program there bob eller uh, came to my high school and, and was talking about the concrete uh, technology program, and I was sitting in the front row, and I was filling out my, my application uh, for, for Alpena Community College, which is what, what hosts this program. And he said, look at this guy. He's halfway to a degree already. He's almost got the form filled out. And so I said, I think I'm going to like this. Um, but there is also some other history that uh, I actually have family members that have also uh, graduated with degrees in concrete. My father, my mother, my stepfather, my brother are all educated in concrete. So none of them work in the, in the industry. Though. Well, your brother works for the Armored Corps Engineers, or he did. And yeah. remember a story from a couple of years ago. Uh, he called you and he said, hey, man, we're having some problems here with one of our things and he went through this really long uh explanation about how he's worried nobody has any idea what's going on and you just calmly you replied you go yeah that's autogenous shrinkage and he said, said auto what <laughs> he said yeah 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 that's autogenous shrinkage he said well we just paid some consultant like a hundred thousand dollars to write this report on what this is so we'll see what he says and i'll call you back and he called you back and he goes should have just gave you a hundred thousand dollars because you solved it on the phone. So that's one of my favorite stories. And uh, in a manner of speaking, how did you determine over the phone 
that that was autogenic shrinkage. So what is autogenic shrinkage and how do you diagnose that over a phone? So just, just for, for reference, this is, this is a, uh, an, a U.S. Air Force project in Abilene, Texas. I've never been there. Um, it's the facility that, that houses the long-range bombing fleet. So these incredibly expensive uh, uh, aircraft. And they don't really like when there's problems with concrete that, that, that their, 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 their jets are going to be uh, operating on, landing on, taking off from. And so they got these little hairline cracks at the, at the corners of the, of the slip form paving. And the, to me, the process, uh, and, and, and I've learned this from my years of experience in concrete, is sometimes it's better to start checking things off the list that it's not. And so after asking many, many questions about uh, how they were preparing the subgrade, what does the mix design look like, uh, what are the weather conditions, and, and, and all these other things, um, I essentially uh, crossed everything off the list and, and, and as a sort of semi-educated guess, as probably a togenous shrinkage. Uh, add some more water to the mix and it'll be fine. And sure enough, it was. <laughs> That's a hundred thousand dollar answer, boys. Did you hear that? Hundred thousand. The Corps of Engineers has a crack team of experts in, in concrete paving, uh, probably twelve to fourteen, and they they were left scratching their head with this problem. So um, sometimes it just takes a different perspective or a different approach. And so I try to I try to approach things that way because usually it's the things you don't think about that are things that are the most become the most obvious answer. Wait, the answer was add 10 gallons? Add 10 gallons. Where's the cowbell? <laughs> so, solves all your problems. Just flash hands, <laughs> add 10 gallons. <laughs> all right, so in your role, you go from doing the, uh, the, the two-year degree, you come in, you start working on quality for a couple different uh, ready-mix companies, and then you jump from the ready-mix side over to the dark side, the cement team, and you work your way up to where you're at now. There's another uh, cement type that's getting thrown around out there a lot, uh, not as ubiquitous as slag cement. I think almost everybody has used or at least knows of slag cement, but not a lot of people are using the Portland limestone cement. So as we, you know, go in and out of all these conferences and all these groups and, you know, we're working with local states with what we do, we hear a lot of talk about Portland Limestone Cement, and it even looks like it's getting written into legislation. So as we think of, like, the concrete industry as a whole, it really does seem uh, like we're going to move into this lane of reducing the carbon footprint of the industry. And one way they think they can do that is by reducing the amount of clinker being used and if you substitute it with lime or limestone. So you end up with this Portland limestone cement. Do you see this catching on in the next five years? And what is it about it that uh, that the, maybe the ready mix industry doesn't know yet? Maybe the ready mix guys that are watching this right now are, are like, oh, I've heard of that, but I still don't understand why they're telling me to use it. Because everything I've heard sounds great. I have no idea why everybody's not using it now, not just from the green side, but all the other benefits, too. Can you tell me, like, what's the biggest challenge? Do you see it really taking off in the next five years? Well, part of your part of your issue is you, you're listening to a cement guy talk about it. Uh, but, but no, I, I actually, this this whole thing started gaining traction in, in, in the mid-2000s, late 2000s. Uh, I was in the ready-mix business at the time, and when, when my cement technical people were talking to me about this, this up 
up-and-coming uh, initiative, I thought, great, they're just going to dilute their cement. Um, that was my perspective going into it. Uh, I've been won over to the fact that there are a lot of benefits to, to, to having high amounts of uh, uncalcined limestone in cement. And, and, of course, that comes from the Finnish mill. So the clinker, gypsum, and other components are blended with limestone. We, we are permitted to have a maximum of 5% in, in traditional C-150 cements, type 1, 2, 3. Um, but this is a cement that falls under C-595, which is the blended cement spec. So you'd see your, 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 your type 1 in slag, 1Ss, 1Ps with, with fly ash. Um, and, and again, through a lot of promotion and, and a lot of research and development uh, and a lot of industry initiatives, we're starting to see that there are, there are actually a lot of benefits to uh, 1L cement outside of the sustainability component, which, which you referenced. Uh, for instance, one DOT in particular that seemed to be very forward-thinking and on the ball with this, and I've got to give a shout-out to MDOT, the Mississippi DOT, um, they were doing some research on this and actually part of Wade Davis Stadium uh, uh, edition uh, was, I think it was in 2012 or some somewhere in that area. They did a 1L cements and, uh, and it was part of a research project and MMC supplied the concrete. And they were really surprised at some of the results they found and they were a little bit uh, uh, confounded as to what they were seeing and the things they were seeing in this project because they're placing this these, this concrete, this type 1-2 cement, this type 1-L cement concrete side by side. They're seeing uh, improvements in strength. They're seeing improvements in, in permeability reduction. So you're making lower permeable concrete and they couldn't quite figure out why is that. And so there, are, there was a lot of studies done to understand why is adding additional limestone beneficial and, and one of the very interesting things is, is that 1L cements work very well with river gravels, and it has to do with the, the paste aggregate bond, which is traditionally not very good quality with river gravels because they're, they're smooth, they're round. Um, and so this, this 1L cement, actually higher amounts of limestone help to stabilize um, the etringite that is formed from cement hydration and reduce the amount of micro-cracking at that interfacial transition zone, so that, that that area between the surface of an aggregate particle and the paste, and so it, it hence made a better bond, which made for better compressive strength. So there are again a lot of benefits uh, to one L cement, and 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 so to me it's a win-win for uh, all industries that this 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 product will move forward. And I believe in the next five years, you're going to see uh, a very large amount of concrete being produced with 1L cements. I do have one one question. You're talking about how it works well with um, with river rock, and uh, there's other benefits tied to it. But is is the 1L cement? Do you see that as at least initially being a uh, almost like a regional product where it'll take off in some regions first before it becomes uh, adopted nationwide? And, and if so, where are you kind of targeting your, your efforts to? That's a great question. So, yeah, I mean, we're, we're seeing we're seeing success in, regionally in some areas. Florida has become a very substantial market for 1L. Um, 
and and so it's being very widely used in Florida. Uh, once the DOT uh, had approval, um, but uh, it, it, yeah, I think that in the southeast you're going to see a, a lot of a lot of states outside of Georgia, which we're we're still working with, but Alabama. Uh, is, is another one uh, where there's the sort of the vertical integration component of the business um, that, that you're going to see a lot more of it. Uh, limestone cements actually have been used in places like, I believe, Colorado, some of the states that, that are ASTM-governed states as opposed to AASHTO because uh, uh, they've been being used for, for, for decades for traditional concrete, uh, but they've been but they've been specified under the 1157 specification, which is a performance-based specification, as opposed to C595 or C150, which is a is a very prescriptive uh, type of specification. So, yeah, definitely, I definitely see there will be some regional things, and, and, and there are advantages in certain areas over other areas. In the South, you have uh, a, a lot less of the uh, detriment of freeze-thaw um, you know, freestyle uh, type of action, the uh, ice or scaling type stuff, um, where where you would have to take some pretty big considerations into limiting your your supplementary cementitious material. Um, so you can still load up your your slags and your fly ashes within the south. In in other places, I think they're going to take a little more cautious approach and try to uh, you know try to understand the 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 effects of uh, the cement because technically it is a blended cement and and obviously it's not the traditional blended cement limestone is not a poslin um, it's not a cementitious material but um, we sort of treat it that way uh, by putting it in the 595 specs so is it going to completely take somebody's type one two away or are they going to have to have a separate silo for the one off cement well the idea is that it's 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 sort of a, a plug and play solution um, and, and, and we've been able to, the vast majority of the DOTs in the, in the U.S. have essentially uh, allowed concrete producers to design mixes with 1L cement exactly the same way they would with the type 1, type 2 cement. Um, so in that, and in, in, in using the same amount of, of replacement in uh, for fly ash slags and other SCMs. And so, um, so that's the idea is that, that it can take the place of your type one two cement, um, and obviously there there are always hurdles as far as acceptance within the specifying community. There are still engineers that that think fly ash is bad and evil um, to this day. There's a lot of there are still some holdouts. So, um, but there will be a very large widespread acceptance of of this product and use of this product. That I, I believe. In, in, in the very near future. Very interesting. Yeah, I, I kind of see the same thing when I'm just looking at the landscape as a whole, that it will take off. It just takes time as a very conservative industry. And we face that. I mean, me and my guys here, we face that all the time trying to introduce a new technology to somebody in such a conservative industry. It takes years and years and years to get people to adopt it and to accept it. And one of the things that we're working on right now, and you've been involved with us with us since the beginning, is the idea of replacing all your natural sand with manufactured sand and using additives to uh, mask all of those issues to take care of the finishability and the pumpability problems. And 
instead make a cheaper concrete with local materials. And even with that being the case, we run into obstacles like crazy. The development cycle for these things like crazy. Do you see the same thing when you're developing new cements like the Portland limestone cement? Is it just pure resistance or is it uh, they just aren't hearing the right things that they need to hear? Because it all sounds great to me. I can't believe it's taking this long. Well, I think I think it speaks to the, 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 the fundamental problems that we face in business, which is um, we come up with great ideas of great products all the time, but a lot of times they require uh, capital investment. And so, so the people that run our businesses say, go get the business and then we'll invest. And we say, well, we need the business, you know, we need to invest and then go after the business. We can't go tell people about how great product X, Y, or Z is for them to say, great, we want that. And then we say, well, hold on a minute. We still got to clear all the CapEx hurdles and get this thing going. So in five years, we can probably get you what you want. So, we're in a we're in a fairly like you said a risk adverse industry, um, and when it comes down to it, we don't like, for the most part, the traditional components of our industry: cement, ready mix, um, even engineers. Uh, they they don't like to make changes until they're beneficial to them, and so um, whereas in other dynamic more dynamic industries, they'll redo their business model, they'll, 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 they'll destroy their current product with, with a new product and, and walk away from it and say, eventually this is going to be very substantial and beneficial to us. And so uh, it's just a little different mentality. I mean, I understand that, but does, doesn't liability play a factor in this? Because we're talking about construction here. It always does. It always does. If you look at um, alternative cements and and, and, and high limestone cements in, in places like Europe or South America, uh, Asia. Um, it's very widespread. Um, but yeah, again, that, that whole liability factor comes into play um, because, of, because of sort of the way that, that things are in, in the States. Even in Canada, they've been using limestone cements very widely for um, more than a decade. Um, so they've been way ahead of us on that curve. Give us a good story, man. Uh, from all your days working QC and tech services across the, the ReadyMix and the Smith side, uh, give us maybe what is your uh, kind of favorite, like super wildest thing that uh, you've seen and been a part of. I've been parts of so, a part of so many things, uh, some that I didn't think were that funny or, or that interesting or great initially. Um, and then some that I, I realized that this is, you know, really funny and, and we could laugh about it. But um, I would say that that maybe I don't have one specific story, but a, but a couple of examples of, of, of something that uh, I know that everybody who produces concrete experiences. And that's that's the the ill effects of bad testing. Um, and, and I, I know everybody's got their stories and, and, and I've got some, some, some pretty good ones. Uh, I think we had talked about a while ago about, uh, when I first started in ReadyMix, uh, in Indiana, the, uh, DOT as part of this whole, everybody's going to metric, uh, initiative was pushed down through the federal government and then, you know, very quickly reversed. There were, there were a lot of, uh, jobs projects that were let in metric and, 
it caused a lot of problems. And so uh, because everybody wanted to figure things out in cubic yards and in feet, and then they would have to go back and convert it into meters. And one day uh, I was on a job site, uh, I got called out to a job site because we were having problems meeting the air uh, content requirement for some concrete being supplied to this project. And I got out there and I went to go see the the, 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 the state testing guy and said, hey, what's the problem? And he said, well, after I convert this air uh, from imperial to metric, you're out of spec. And I said, what? What are you talking about? He said, yeah, you know, you got to you got to convert. We have to convert all our units. And, and so I'm, I'm converting imperial percent air to metric percent air. And I said, percent doesn't have any units uh, <laughs> we had to, we had to, we had to do a little education session in that, uh, you know, and go through some examples that, that you can have a hundred of anything and you give somebody one of anything. It doesn't matter what you label it as it's 1%. Um, so yeah, that was an interesting one. Uh, another project I had, um, it was a DOT project and, and, and I go out to this job site and, this was when self-consolidating concrete was just first coming around. And this, this old timer, I'm watching him run a uh, slump on a, on a three inch slump concrete and he's got the slump cone inverted and he's, and he, and he takes really great care to do his one third, one third, one third. And he's got the cone upside down and I'm watching him. I'm going, where is this going? You know, what, what is he, what is he going to do? He picks it up and because it wouldn't flow out of the, the, the narrow end of the slump cone, he starts shaking it. And, and he started building up something and he sets the cone down and measures. He goes, Oh man, that's a three and three quarters. You're barely in spec, buddy. And I said, <laughs> you, know you're, you know, you're running that test wrong. And he said, this is the way I've been running it for 20 years and you can't tell me any different. And I said, okay, well then don't tell me that any concrete's going to be rejected because I will raise issue with it. Never had any problems. So apparently he, he figured out a way to run an inverted slump test that at least from my standpoint, didn't cause any problems uh, uh, and, and must have given him something that was within specification. But uh, yeah, it's 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 unbelievable some of the things that you come across out there. Holy cow! Yeah, one of my favorite lessons I ever learned. Uh, one of the stories was the day that I learned what you do in the concrete lab doesn't always translate into the field. And when I was working with Fuff Barge, uh, we had made this really special mix of super high dense, you no know, like zero permeability, you know, uh, making this big, uh, big slab for a nuclear power plant. So it was almost like a mass pour. That's how thick this slab was. And we're out there at two o'clock in the morning, and it's day one, and it is not going well. They have already poured like 200 yards by the time I showed up. And it, the guy's just on fire. And he came over to me, and I, there I am with my clipboard and white hard hat and shiny boots because I'm a lab guy and not a field guy at that time. And he comes over, and he, he starts yelling at me. He goes, you, you're the reason this mix is terrible. I was like, I don't think so, but, well, you know, let's talk about it. You know, I'm scared to death. I'm probably like 23 years old. I don't know anything. And I think I know things, but I really don't know anything. And he comes up and he says, well, this mix isn't right at all. The slump's wrong, the air's wrong, everything's wrong. And I had my little clipboard and I looked down and I said, well, according to my spreadsheet, this would all be right. 
And he smacks that spreadsheet out of my hand, and he says, I don't give a dang about your spreadsheet. Fix my concrete. So we had to uh, have some emergency fixing there on the site, went back to the lab that day, uh, made the corrections in the lab that would then translate into the field. And it was crazy because in the lab, I was getting a nine-inch slump. But you take that same design out in the field, it was a five-inch slump. So, uh, Ryan, I don't know, in your experience, uh, are there any other things like that where you spent – because you spent a decent bit of time in the lab. So are there other things like that that you thought you'd hit home runs in the lab, but they just never translated in the field? Yes. Uh, and, and it was it was it was a similar type of experience. And uh, you and I used to work for the same uh, company, Lafarge uh, Ready Mix, uh, and value-added concrete products were were, were 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 very very heavily promoted. And we had a a, a, a project that was a, a freezer facility. They did not want to shut the freezer down, but they needed to replace about about 60 yards of concrete slab. And so we said, great, we know exactly what we can do for that. It's got to set very fast because it's going to be 32 degrees or 31 degrees in this freezer. So, uh, and they, and, and the, there was really no horizon given if they're going to raise the temperature or, you know, at any point. So you got to get a lot of strength very quickly. So we went to work and made this just god-awful nasty mix and, and you make cylinders and we put them in our deep freezer we have in our lab and sure enough man we're getting strengths like you wouldn't believe and so game time we, it comes to the day to do this we decide to supply it from a plant that is about a 40 minute 35 minute drive from the project and it's also about 95 degrees this stuff is loaded with type 3 cement uh, almost no water and it's all plasticizer it's got it's got non-chloride accelerator in it and by the time i got to the job i had buckets of high range water reducer and i am just like 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 bucket brigade give me another bucket throwing it in this concrete is not responding it's getting it's 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 getting it's setting up like as i'm watching it i'm dumping plasticizer can't get it add some water and so i call our quality manager and i said I'm. Uh, you need to bring some sugar, like a lot of sugar, out here right now. We need to kill this concrete. We're gonna lose this drum. And he said, "Well, I gotta stop at the gas station." I said, "I don't know which one you're talking about. I'm sending these two trucks over there right now because they couldn't even pump this stuff. It was awful." And uh, I said, "They're gonna be in the parking lot. Get out there and dump as much sugar as you can in it." Long story short, we were two drums down. Uh, concrete, eight yards of concrete set up solid as all get out. I think those drums are actually still sitting on one of our yards somewhere. Um, <laughs> and that's when I realized, you know, you got to consider the logistics of concrete, of delivering and placing concrete just as much as you need to consider the technical aspects of, of a mix's uh, performance, right? You got to consider how it's going to be, how long it's going to be take to be delivered and uh, how it's going to be placed and all that kind of stuff and factor in some sort of safety factor because that wasn't a good day. A uh, real quick story I got. Paul, you knew where I, you know where I grew up. You've been down there and you know how far away it is from everything. So they were doing a they were doing some little residential project down there one time and the the local, I say local, the closest concrete company was 30 to 45 minutes away. That was the nearest plant. 
And so they sent a truck down there. They had sent trucks. It was a pretty big job. And they had sent a couple trucks down there. And one truck went down there and got close to the job and broke down. And broke down. Drum quit spinning. And by the time they got anything down there to even work on the truck or try to get the truck out of there, concrete had already set up in the drum. They had to bring a crane in, pick the drum off, and set it off in the weeds on the side of the road and haul the truck away. Well, a few days later, somebody made a stencil with NASA. They made it look just like the NASA lit, uh, you know, letters. And they came up there in the dark, under the cover of darkness and spray-painted NASA on the side of this big white drum, and it got a lot of attention in that little small town back home. Speaking of the transportation challenges, and, and you got to be thinking about those kind of factors, did you see the report that just got released about uh, – Changing, asking ASTM to look at the C94 and change it uh, in terms of like concrete age, because right now you know 90 minutes, if concrete's older than 90 minutes, it's supposed to be rejected. And they're saying, look, according to all this work we did, you can go up to 150 minutes, and the concrete is just the same, if not better, in these tests than they were at 90 minutes. Have you seen that report yet? Uh, yeah, I've been I've been participating in some of the committees and, and some of the incredibly spirited debates that are happening. So um, the NRMCA is now is now affiliated with the Portland Cement Association, and so we have a lot of overlap. So um, my thought on it when I initially heard this initiative, and they've they've been trying to push this for quite a while now, and it keeps getting struck down with 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 mountains of negatives. The idea is that producers, some producers want the flexibility to be able to extend the supply or the, 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 the time that they can batch, deliver, and place concrete beyond the 90 minutes specified in C94. Others do not. And, and, and it's not, the, these two sides are very passionate. They both have very great arguments. Um, obviously, the ones who want essentially to, to dictate to the contractor the amount of time that they have to uh, place the concrete from the time it's batched, see it as a means of reducing rejected loads. You know, when, when it hits 90 minutes plus one second, it's it, get it out of here. Um, and their argument is we can design mixes that can last for hours and still be meet all the other requirements. The people who do not want the 90 minutes removed and do not want the responsibility of it being added um, are the people who seem to have been burned many times over um, something related to, you know, the contractor asking for 100 yards an hour and they are pouring 30 yards an hour and you have trucks stacked up on the site and they want the ability to go back and say, you took responsibility for that concrete after it reached 90 minutes uh, and whatever disaster was caused by it because there, in theory we were always on projects and, and making sure we're doing our quality stuff but the reality of it is that concrete's poured all the time without uh, QA involved because it's just the nature of the business and so both sides are make a very compelling argument I do not believe it will pass um, I just can't see where the the the, the objections are just not uh, being addressed. They've 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 been they've kind of eliminated a few as non-persuasive as, as participated in ASTM, and you may have had your feelings heard if you submitted a proposed ballot 
and somebody said, well, I'm going to, I'm going to convince everybody that you're not persuasive and then they eliminate it. But the, the, the issue is that there's just, there doesn't seem to be enough juice going forward to, to, to push it. So again, I don't know what the right answer is. There's, there's, there's compelling arguments to both sides. Yeah, I hadn't heard the other side. That was interesting. So it's a liability thing. Again, we're coming back to liability on another issue. And that's really worked in ready makes you know that 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 uh, communications because you have dozens of jobs, communication isn't always is, isn't always the most solid. Sometimes projects are done without QA ever being involved in, in sales and in, in the plan. And so again, I, I think I tend to lean more towards that side of ninety minutes. You know, there already is language in there allowing for some sort of a, a, a agreed upon uh, uh, change to the time limit between the purchaser and the supplier. And, and to me, that that's really where concrete producer should be pushing. Um, they should be submitting mixes if they want to if they want two hours and saying in their submittal saying we we're going to have two hours. And if you have any reason that you don't want that, then reject it and we'll, we'll, we'll address it type of yeah, the paper that, that I saw was a continuation of the work that's been going on for about six years. And so it's just the latest report. And it did admit that. It admitted that, uh, you know, the way the uh, um, ACI 318 is set up right now is that if you want more than 90 minutes, you just have to agree to it ahead of time. Don't say it the day of the job that, oh, this concrete's fine, even though it's 9,500 minutes sold or whatever. And I was looking at the data. It was interesting because it's like an official report. You know, this university put together this nice long report. And the data, it, you could just tell it was concrete data. Like it wasn't this perfectly near trend on everything. It was kind of up and down. And you just had to say, eh, it's a little up and down, but it's concrete. That looks good. <laughs> Let's How many roll. Times have, you, have you generated a bunch of data and created a scatter plot and drawn a straight line through it and say, there's the, there's the trend curve? And they're like, yeah, but there's up here it's down there and the trend curve yeah it's it's all up to the interpretation absolutely and around here we put positive spin on stuff there you go i had a good story for you ron and the guys here uh so we're talking about that manufacturer sand thing and uh you helped us ryan recently trying to come up with ideas of how to not make it stick in the bins and so we're uh, listening, fielding ideas from you and some other colleagues out there, and I'm not going to bring up the guy's name or the company's with or who he was with when this happened, but he gave me a great solution. Told me what he used to do back in the day. So back in the day, up in Huntsville, Alabama, where it routinely gets 100 degrees, Joey Bell, you know you down there in Nashville, and uh, it's really hot. The sand's uh, full of moisture. The manufactured sand is and it, it gets in the bottom of the bin, it sticks as it starts to heat up, sticks to the sides of the bin. And if they had sand in there in the summer on a Friday and they were going to be down for the weekend, it was going to be packed hard as a rock where the water is just leached out and it's just cooked to the sides of the bin. On Monday, they were just, it's just going to be a horrible day. So what they would do, this is how they got they solved that issue. What they would do is on Sunday, a pack of them would get together and they stroll out to the plant. They take a couple of cases of beer and their shotguns, and they would take turns climbing up on the bin and blasting 
the sand off the bins with buckshot. <laughs> That's wonderful. And it worked, but I haven't recommended anybody yet. Well, I get it. That's that's the way they used to, uh, and maybe maybe in some cases still do knock uh, build up off of the uh, dolomite brick in, in a cement kiln. Um, we actually at our, our plant, our facility in Atlanta, which is a decommissioned cement plant, there's like a pallet full of eight gauge shotgun shells. I couldn't even imagine shooting that thing, but that's what they used to go in when they would when they would you know, when they would uh, cycle the kiln down and because they had buildup, they would just go in there and start blasting stuff off. So. There's no amount of hearing protection that could save you from that. Goodness, no. Talk about the good old boys uh, uh, in concrete. There's a, there's a lot of them. I'm trying to think. Uh, any other thing you wanted to talk about, Ryan? Anything else that was uh, on your mind or on your chest? or like to say Well, actually... Uh, another question that I had had was, was something that came up that I thought about. Uh, any of you guys ever do any, any good any good celebrity stories in concrete? Like actual celebrities or concrete celebrities? No, actual celebrities. Nobody cares about <laughs> concrete celebrities. Yeah, I was about to say I met Gary Knight one time. Oh, yeah, well, he's the, he's, he's, he's the grand wizard and off the grade of our industry. So uh, I need to have lunch with him at some point. He's a great dude. Lives down the road from me. But uh, so uh, I have one, and 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 I'm going to na- name the celebrity. You can you can blurt it out if you want. But uh, I don't know if you ever heard of a guy named John Rich. Oh yeah, Rich. Big and Rich yeah. fame. Yeah. The Concrete Cowboys, when that was, or whether Country Music Mafia or whatever they were called. Um, so. He built a massive house, a mansion in West Nashville uh, when I was there working in Ready Mix, and he wanted everything to be concrete. His he had self-consolidating concrete, self-consolidating concrete walls around his entire compound that was colored and textured concrete. Uh, we were supplying the concrete to. He had concrete floors where he wanted mirrors and glass and stuff embedded into it, and then polished so you could see it. Uh, he had custom concrete. I helped a, 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 a customer of ours do custom concrete uh, window sills. Um, so everything was, and, and then and ultimately he wanted to be able to land his helicopter on top of this thing when it was said and done. It was, it was unbelievable. And the project was a just a cluster from day one because it was very ambitious. He was always threatening to uh, fire everybody and I'm going to get rid of the whole lot of you. And one time my admixture uh, supplier, a guy who I went to went to concrete college with. Um, he's no longer in the admixture business. He's, he's he's selling slag for other things, but he he had to get called into this meeting because the self consolidating concrete was just not quite working out the way they wanted it to. And he said this little this little job trailer on site, and it's packed full of people. He says probably 15 people, and this thing can probably really reasonably fit about 10. Um, and he said, I, I see this homeless guy walking up to the trailer off the streets. And I'm like, you know, he was whole ratty jeans and had looked like he hadn't showered in like months, you know, type of thing. And the guy walks up to the door and he opens the door and he said, I'm the last guy in. So I'm standing at the door. because There's no other place to go. And I said, whoa, whoa, excuse me, sir. This is this is a private meeting. And he said, my ass, it's a private meeting. I'm John Rich. 
And he said, <laughs> pardon me, sir. I will give you my spot. I'm out of here. And he just got in his car and drove off, never even attended the meeting. <laughs> he got his butt shot by John Rich. He, said he looked like he was a homeless dude off the streets of West Nashville. Crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's that's so called cool. a hipster. Right. Yeah, we have those. We got a bunch of those. Yeah. Hey, Joey, you remember that time we were out there on an Argacast pile job in California, and instead of working, old boy set up a grill? Yeah, that was the <clears> – <throat> I think he was – wasn't he, like, part of QC or something like that? He, had, he, like, legit worked on the job, and he had a title. But come middle of the day, yeah, he, he just pitched this canopy uh, right off the back of his truck drug a grill out and they would grill every day for lunch like all the hispanic boys would come in there and it smelled phenomenal throughout the entire job site but they would grill every day for lunch yeah that was pretty awesome well here, here's a psa um there aren't a lot of problems on a job site as a qa guy at ready mix that, that can't be solved with uh with with a sack full of biscuits all right man right. ryan bass appreciate you hanging out with us today brother Pleasure. Let me know when you want me to come back. Will do, man. Always welcome. Absolutely. Friend of the pod, Ryan Betts. Yeah. Automatic friend of the podcast. (laughs) See you, man. See ya. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that'll do it for episode one. We want to thank Ryan Betts again for coming on with us, talking shop, telling some great stories, and we hope you all enjoyed it. Uh, Also note that uh, the news articles that we talked about, At the beginning of the show, uh, those links will be posted in the show notes in case you want to go follow up on uh, any of the projects that Joey was talking about. Um, The Concrete and Space article uh, by Penn State University that Paul was talking about and the ACI convention information uh, that I was talking about. Uh, So again, all of that will be available on the show notes. Uh, One final last thanks to Ryan Betts and we hope to be able to talk to him again on this podcast in the near future and uh, be on the lookout for episode two coming soon.